0: During this whole series, I would love it if uh, we had stories, if we would share um, publicly just little movements towards what it means to be missional, what it means to be incarnational, what it means to live our faith out in the real world, stories of Jesus leaving the building with you. And so they don't have to be like, you know, I uh, 17 people came to Christ one day. We're good. Um and I just want even maybe people who would say, I invited somebody to, to break bread with me, and we had a spiritual conversation, and we want to celebrate that. So this is what this, this bells display response is all about, that we would uh, share some stories of, of God at work throughout the week. And uh, I'm going to ask my friend Kelly Garby if she would come. Now, I haven't prepped her. She hasn't prepared Really anything, I just really want to ask her one question. Hello, Kelly. Hi. So, let, so don't you know? Don't uh, be nervous. It's just you know two friends at the cottage having coffee, in front of 150 people or so. Okay. <laughs> but um, Kelly is very gifted, and there's times where we'll say like, "Hey, Kelly, would you consider this you know leadership opportunity?" And sometimes she'll say yes. But sometimes she'll say no, and forgive me if I'm getting the wrong wording, but something to the effect of, I would, but really my real ministry is out there. Tell us what you mean by that.
1: Well, I thought I was going to answer a question after a sermon.
0: (laughs) Ah, no deal.
1: (laughs) And you're going to like define things, because I don't think of myself as living missionally or incarnationally. Those aren't words that I use. Uh, and I definitely believe that God allows me to have spiritual conversations and opportunities with people outside the church walls. Um, I think that God loves the church and that the work that happens inside the church is important and but I work as a registered social worker and a psychotherapist in private practice in my home and in a place called the trauma center and as a registered social worker, I'm allowed by the province of Ontario to inquire about people's spiritual beliefs. So often I'll do that. And sometimes a spiritual conversation develops. And I believe that people are precious because we're all created in the image of God. And I love having conversations about hope. Um, I can see the mark of God on people. And um, I know personally and professionally the divine exchange, you know, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning. Um, and I've been encouraged by sermons, teachers, my friends, my cell group, my husband to be who God made me to yeah, be. Yeah. So how I am in my work and in my life is more about um, being anchored to hope mm-hmm. and being anchored in my identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, there are thousands of opportunities <laughs> mm-hmm. for people in all walks of life t- to meet with people and have spiritual conversations, like in whatever work we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm right and i've been encouraged to keep being who i am in christ yeah. um, you know by the lord by the holy spirit and by other people that's a long answer I no have.
0: that's good and and it's it never to me comes off as uh like wedged into a conversation you're just very good at sort of um bringing up spiritual things i think you know y- you're a runner you run with people does it does it find its way into organically into those, that community of people?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure it does, yeah. You
0: do it. Tell us, (laughs) teach us, oh, wise one.
1: (laughs) Let's give God all the glory. Mm. Because this is the interesting thing, right? He uses imperfect people. He uses people who are afraid lots of times, right? Like, I was actually, you know... I feel afraid, but I do it anyways. Mm-hmm. I met Elizabeth Elliot. One year, I read all the biographies of dead saints, like as many as I could. And you know, she used to say things like, "Do it afraid, right?" She was the wife of uh, Jim. Jim, yeah, who was a martyred person by the Ecuadorians. Um, so sometimes I'm afraid, but yes, I I I will offer to pray with people, and most people say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I offer because I sometimes hear God say, it'd be okay, like, go ahead and offer to pray for them. And so I just offer. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes like, like these videos, it comes out of relationship, it comes out of listening. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've prayed for the women that know Jesus and don't know Jesus that I run with.
0: Wow. Yeah, what do you think a non church, for all, you know, probably irreligious, would say yes to that invitation to, of prayer?
1: Because we're seeking, right? Like we're seeking people, right? People are wondering about the meaning of life and hopefulness and, you know, when people are depressed or anxious, it's not just a little symptom, right? Like there's a deeper thing to that, right? Um, So uh, like, yeah, I think prayer is so powerful. It's mysterious. I don't exactly know how it works. I just know that the Holy Spirit, like God values people. He sent his son to die for people. And when I try to partner with God, and when I try to recognize that priority, then opportunities come my way. Like recently I had the opportunity to pray for a client in my office and what I'd learned over a series of visits. Like and, and I, I if I offer to pray for someone in my office, the formal session is closed. It's voluntary, it's consensual. I'm not forcing my faith on people. Like it's a very voluntary uh But I learned that this person uh, had a mother-in-law who passed away who was a complete Jesus follower, who prayed for this person all the time. And I thought, wow, and now God has given you on your journey a praying therapist. Mm. Like, isn't that interesting? Mm. I'd been praying for this person a lot longer than I had ever prayed out loud for Mm. this person in front of this person.
0: How cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You're preaching my message now and this is very cool because we, you don't know what I'm gonna talk about. Maybe that's why it's cool that you came up first. Uh, will you get ready to um, put these notes together and then uh, preach a message some Sunday? Because I think we could learn a lot from you. Yeah, yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. Thank you. That was Kelly, everybody. And uh, I feel like I learned how to do this. Living incarnationally thing. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have of that generation that put bumper stickers on your car. Uh, we have nicer cars these days, so people don't want to like you know. Uh, here's some ones that I remember from years ago. Your kid may be an honor student, but you're still an idiot. I like that one. I would. Um, I I love cats. They taste just like chicken. That. <laughs> Here's a bumper sticker, sometimes I wake up grumpy, other times I let him sleep, huh? Come on, these are great dad jokes. Um, where there's a will, I want to be in it. Very funny, Scotty, now beam down my clothes. I, it's, uh, yeah, for Star Trek fans only. There are three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. See, you'll get that on the way home. <laughs> Here's a bumper sticker. Why is abbreviation such a long word? Uh, yeah. Thank you, Kelly. I, I feel like there was a time in our Christian faith, in our Christian experience, where um, sharing our faith, where we turned evangelism into something like a, a quippy bumper sticker, something that would fit nicely on a t-shirt. Turn or burn. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? You know, my boss is a Jewish carpenter and I'm his lazy employee or whatever. And, and there are, are few words that strike fear, I think, into the Christian heart more than the word evangelism. I talked about this last week where we feel pressure and guilt and shame. You know, maybe you have been part of conferences. Uh, I can think of my own youth experience where Everybody got sort of worked up into a, a frothy lather and then sent out, you know, like, now go and share Christ with at least three people before bedtime. It's like, Ugh, it's already 10 o'clock, you know? And uh, would you believe me if I said that I'm actually uh, an introvert? It's, it's true. Uh, some of you are introverts. You're naturally shy, and you've had people who don't understand why going out on the street and starting a conversation, or more actually a speech, about Jesus is a bit of a stretch for you. Do you care about people, do they ask? Like, how do introverts go to Elevation Church? I don't know. Touch somebody right now and tell them that they're blessed to be stressed. It's like, do I have to touch somebody? Yes, touch somebody. Um, I... I'm not going to add another burden to you. I don't want to add another burden. I am not a street-witnessing person. And I think authentic evangelism is never motivated by guilt. You know, when you watch certain door-to-door religions-slash-cults that shall remain nameless, do you get the impression that they are motivated by a great love For your soul? I certainly don't. And I assure you, based on my study of their theology, that is not what is motivating them. It is based in fear and guilt and competition, based on a theology that heaven or paradise has sort of a numbered cutoff of the elect or chosen, the ones who get in the good place, you know? So converts to them equal... Brownie points in that system. Now, we as Christ followers, we have a different motivation, don't we? We love because Christ first loved us, John says. And so while it's true that not everyone in this room has the gift of evangelism, the spiritual gift of evangelism, in the same way that not everyone here is a gifted uh, you know, apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, I do think everyone has on some level the spiritual responsibility for evangelism. Now, what's best is when we can partner with the gifted evangelists uh, and and teachers, everybody doing their part. Man, that's, that's when it's really working. I think this is what Paul is getting at when he writes a letter in prison to the Colossian church. And here's what he says Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. Everyone. So let's break this down. For the gifted evangelists, which I think Paul is one, he asks for opportunities to share Christ, and he asks for the courage to proclaim the gospel clearly. He doesn't suggest that the Colossians pray the same thing for themselves. Rather, evangelistic believers are to pray for the evangelist's ministry. And, and to be wise in their conduct toward outsiders and to look for opportunities. That's what Kelly was talking about, to answer outsiders' questions when they arise. And so, okay, evangelists are to proclaim. It seems to come naturally to them. But every believer is to look for opportunities. And this is why last week I encouraged us to be uh, people who live questionable Lives, a kind of Christ honoring kingdom life that actually arouses questions in others. Why do you live like that? You know this is the bells model that we're talking about. We pray like crazy, uh, and then conduct ourselves in in word and deed in such a way as to provoke unbelievers to ask questions about their own beliefs and about our beliefs, and to enter into a spiritual conversation. So we have the responsibility to the unbeliever. Yes, we must do our part. But they must do their part. They must respond. God must do his part. I cannot do God's part, and I cannot do their part, but I must do my part. And I believe God does not ask us to play a part that is ill-fitting, that is not the way that he has uniquely wired you. Every person here, I look around, I see such a unique gifting, a unique set of life experiences and personality and evangelistic styles that God has given you. And maybe instead of seeing this as a, as a burden, um, we would start to see it as the incredible honor The privilege it is. God chooses ordinary folks like you and me to be his spokespeople on earth. You know, remarkable. To every believer like you and me, he says, you are my ambassador. That's just biblical wording right there. You are the person that's going to reach a certain group of humans in your corner of the world. You know, they need Your personality, your life experience, your age, your sense of humor, your story. They need you filled with the Holy Spirit and commissioned as my agent of peace and reconciliation. How cool is that? So love is our motivation. But it's difficult to talk about another reality when it comes to love and our motivation. You know, in the year and a half that I've been here, I can't verify this, but I think I may have only said this word t- twice. So no one can blame me for overemphasizing this. Um, the scare tactics that I was raised with. Any very part of the uh, heaven's gates and hell's flame. Oh, yeah, yeah, right on. Um, is I I heard Mike Coles is he upstairs? Mike Coles in the room? No, I think he's upstairs. I hear I hear he got to be uh, Satan, which is the plum part, right? <laughs> I just was the drug dealer, you know. I was, you know, one day uh, thought I'd be Satan, but the truth is, is that this was a very um, pressure driven performance of like, you know, we're gonna scare you a little bit and then we're gonna ask you to make a life decision for Christ. And the truth is, as Christians, though, we do believe in an eternity. And it's an eternity either with God or an eternity separated from God. And the theme of hell is actually a recurring topic of Jesus preaching. He talked about it a lot. He confronted the religious and the irreligious and the rich and the old and the young and the poor. And he preached that unless they repented, they would die in their sin and face judgment. And it broke his heart, I believe, that people were going to be eternally separated from him. So I don't know exactly what hell is. If anyone tells you that they got all the deets, I would be very suspicious of them. Scripture gives us some hints. What I do know is that it is separation from God, separation from the lover of our souls. And I, I believe in a literal hell. I believe, in it, I believe in it rationally. I believe in it emotionally. I'm not neurotic about it, um, but it bothers me. It snaps me out of my selfishness. Um, and I, it should for you too. I don't know if you remember this, Vicki. I was thinking recently about when we lived in Chatham some 17 years ago or so, and we had a next-door neighbor who was renting the basement, and a quiet guy, he'd come and leave at odd hours. And one day, he tied a rope around the basement fixtures and he took his own life. And I wondered then, and I I was reminded of it recently, about my impact or lack thereof. And I say it again, I'm not obsessed about it, but there are people I want to share eternity with. And Jesus came so that everybody might share eternity with him. So it motivates me on some level. Do you understand? I hope it motivates you on some level too. I'll tell you, though, what really motivates me. Johan actually prayed about it this morning in our our board prayer. You know, the amazing joy of leading someone to Christ. If you have had that privilege, I mean, is there anything greater? Like when people say, I I was lost until you invited me to fill in the blank. Thanks for reaching out to me. Um, Thanks for trying to answer my questions and putting up with all my nonsense. Thanks for loving me when I felt unlovable. Thanks for showing me the grace of God. Man, you only need to hear that once to get really excited about sharing the good news. And So I think we ought to get a lump in our throat when we see our friends, our coworkers, our family who are searching in the, in the garbage dumps of life. You know, we ought to weep at the thought of them forever separated from God. We ought to, I think, even lay awake at night thinking of creative ways to reach them. If you read Luke 15, and, and do that sometime soon, the whole chapter, Jesus tells three stories, the lost sheep, the lost uh, coin, and the, and the lost son, the prodigal son. And the message, really, people matter to God. People matter to God. And you'll notice in those stories, the emphasis is not on what the sheep and the coin feel, but what on God the Father feels. In fact, instead of referring to unbelievers as lost people, we might even adopt our language to say, the people that Jesus misses the most. Authentic evangelism simply means you love people, you consider them valuable, they are the forgotten people, the, the marginalized people, the unlovable people, all people. OK, pastor, I do love people. God has put that love in my heart. How do I evangelize? Well, let me ask you this: What comes to mind when you picture the word "evangelist? Just sh- sh- shout out some pictures of what that what? Billy Graham. Anything else? Megan Waller. Megan Waller, good. Any any uh clothes or 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 hair or belts. belts? Good white belts maybe? Belts. Yeah. White shoes. Just checking my. Yeah, I'm good. Um This is I mean, this is sort of my clichéd look at what an evangelist looks like. You know, boof buff- Poofy hair, right? Um, this is uh, a show, a new show on HBO that doesn't paint a very good picture of what evangelist means. But does this describe you? Does, does Billy Graham describe you? Um, I'm afraid the world has co-opted kind of the to describe the worst tendencies, or at least that rarefied personality. You know, the Billy Graham, the Reinhard Bonnke, And evangelical, which is ostensibly what we are as a church, has been, that word has been co-opted, I'm afraid, co-opted politically, and I'm not even sure I, you know, if I want to be identified as evangelical, but what it really means is a church that would evangelize, share the good news of Jesus. So whatever you call it, evangelical, missional, incarnational, I just we are on a mission. Jesus has given us this mission, and Satan loves it. Uh, when the extent of our faith is a bunch of Christians going to church with a bunch of Christians. If that is it, what are we doing? So I want to tell you this morning that God has wired you in such a way to be an ambassador that actually fits you. It fits well, fits your personality. And only a tiny fraction of the world is ever going to be reached by your stereotypical Evangelist, you know, in a world as diverse as ours, as diverse as GTA, he's going to need somebody just like you. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, just hear this. You do not have to be someone you're not to evangelize, to share the good news of Jesus beyond these walls. Michael Frost, he's the Australian guy you saw in that video, he says, surely there is a way we can see the church as an army of ordinary people sent out to announce and demonstrate the reign of God through Christ without expecting ourselves to be something we're not or something less than we should be. You know, as I look around the room, I just love seeing the various gifts, the various communication styles represented. So what's your style? And I want to go through a few. I don't think it's an exhaustive list by any means. But let's see if some of these fit you. The confrontational style, that's the wrong word, because immediately that gives you the wrong impression of, of uh, this is not picking a fight. Maybe another word might be uh, unequivocal or uh, authoritative style. You know, when I got my counseling diploma, um, The style that was taught to me was, you know, you reflect back to the person. You ask more questions than you give answers. You let clients come to the conclusion on their own. And frankly, sometimes I wish I had my dad's style, which I think is a little more like, okay, here's what you do, right? Uh, Very clear, authoritative, unequivocal. And I think there are some people at times who just need that. Clarity, black and white. Here's the ugly truth of your sin. You know, at at times this was Peter's style, just this in-your-face. Remember the story of Pentecost where he's preaching to the Jews and he says, you killed the Son of God. How's that? Now get baptized and save yourself from this adulterous and wicked and corrupt generation. Peter challenged them with a full frontal assault. Anybody know how many got saved that day? 3,000. It it worked in that moment. Now, it doesn't work for everyone. I don't think it would work for me. But some people, I think, are only going to be reached when they are confronted courageously, straightforwardly with their sin. And some need maybe to get just knocked on their head a little bit. Did God wire you this way? Then, then get out there and ask the Holy Spirit that you do it sensitively while still saying, here's the truth, what are you going to do about it? Years ago, I watched this show called ER. Anybody know Clooney? And, yeah. And this clip has stuck with me. Um, I think it explains itself. Watch this. There are times where... Sometimes you need to look somebody in the eye and tell them how to find forgiveness. Here's the gospel, black and white. Respond to it or don't, but here's the truth. Now, this is a style probably associated with a a more prophetic personality. And the prophet, too, needs to learn how to read the room, you know? And, and, And I know the gospel is offensive to some, but we don't need to be offensive people. And so... You are particularly utilizing the first L in our Bells models. anybody know what the first L is? Listen. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're listening to others. And you're not getting ahead of the Holy Spirit. Um, is this the time, Lord? Is this the time where I, I really lay it on the line, um, where I'm unequivocal about heaven and hell and the state of your soul? So it's, it, it requires great sensitivity. I think modern examples of this might be a, a T.D. Jakes or John Piper or a, a John MacArthur. I, I think my dad has that gift. I, I'm just guessing, but I, I think maybe people like a Steve Robinson, uh, a Bonnie Baber, a uh, uh, Johan, maybe a Brittany. Um, would anybody say, oh, I think this might, might be my style? Yeah, it's a few and far between group but um, for those who think this might be their style, I'd say, like, listen to the Holy Spirit, and there may be times where you lay it on the line. There's another style, the intellectual style, and it's like Paul in Acts 17. He reasoned with people. He debated. He explained. He proved Christ's resurrection. Um, Paul was researched and informed, could put together convincing arguments like, nobody else, and, and, and it's actually Peter who gives the, I think, the intellectual raison d'etre in First Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Can anybody think of a famous example of someone with this gift? Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, uh, Lee Strobel, um, who, Chuck Colson, uh, Josh McDowell. Um, for years, I, it was kind of my style. It, w- it was what personally helped propel me from being sort of a fence-sitter Christian to a sold-out Christian. So maybe you're an intellectual evangelist. You'd like to research and reason and question, and I'd say lean into it. Get ready to give an answer. And I could see people, and I'm just guessing, and I'm sorry if, I'm, if I could see people like David Beishausen and Glenn Robinson and uh, maybe John Asbury and Steve Briggs, um, Carolyn Deep. Anybody else who th- thinks that might be their style? Yeah, right on. Um, perhaps you can't, listen, you cannot reason anybody into the kingdom, okay? You cannot debate anybody into the kingdom of God. And I think that's where this style got it wrong in the 20th century at times, where it's just like, well, if I apologetic you enough, then you'll make that decision to follow Christ. But listen, it, it can be a huge part of the process for people. It was for me. How about the testimonial style of evangelism you remember the story of jesus and he's healing the blind beggar and the pharisees question the beggar afterwards and they're trying to trip him up and asking him theological questions and finally he just said one thing i know i was blind but now i see he's saying look draw your own conclusions i drew mine this is my story this is you know And many unbelievers they don't need to hear another sermon And they don't uh, need to read another book. What they need is to hear a story from an authentic, sane Christian who just tells them a bit about their transformed life. I think we need to get in the habit, the practice of telling our story. Like if you were asked to give your three-minute elevator pitch story for the reason, the hope that lies within you, would you be able to? Some of, you, some of you are natural storytellers. You have a powerful story. Tell it. I think of Paul. think of, Paul. I think of uh, Glenn and Christine, Rebecca, um, famous storytellers like uh, Bethany Hamilton, the Surfer, uh, Brian Welch from Corn, uh, uh, Nick Vust- somebody help me. Nick Vot? Vust- yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Um, what about the relational? style of evangelism. In Mark 5, uh, it tells the story of the man who was possessed by demons in the tombs. You know the story? And Jesus heals him, and the man is so overjoyed. He asks if he can follow Jesus and be part of this traveling evangelist team. And Jesus actually refuses. He says to him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. He says, Go home and be a relational evangelist. Share with your family and friends. Like, you don't need to go cold calling, knocking on doors um, with people you don't even know. You don't need to even go to seminary, uh, get on the speaking circuit, or anything like that. You have family and friends who need to know about the hope that lies within you. And so go live a transformed life in their presence and pray for them and wait for opportunities and be available when someone says, how can I get what you have? And interestingly, if you read ahead in Mark and Jesus comes back to that area, there's now a whole bunch of new disciples. It doesn't say it explicitly, but I wonder if it was that demon-possessed man in the tombs who lived a relational evangelist life in that town. Um, some, Some folks, I think, uh, fail to notice the evangelistic opportunities that are right under their nose, you know? And they feel bad because they, they have not never been to Africa or Indonesia. And, the, and all the while, God needs someone exactly like them right where they are. I think of all the relational people in this church who are just gifted relationally. Maybe this is you. How about an invitational evangelist? You know the story of the Samaritan woman? Jesus meets her at a well, and she has this life-changing encounter with Jesus. And what does she do? Well, it says in John 4, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Instead of trying to recreate the conversation she had with Jesus, she goes home and she begs the people, Come, hear Jesus. And they did and it says that many Samaritans were saved that day. She was an invitational evangelist. She knew she couldn't share the message alone, so she invited them to someone who could. You know, many people condemn themselves because they don't have a, you know, great story. They don't find themselves particularly intellectual or confrontational. They feel they have nothing to offer as an evangelist. Well, God wants them to do what this woman at the well did, invite people to come and see. You know, I think some of the most encouraging feedback I received about NAC when we did a little survey was that to a person, people felt like this was a place they could bring people. That was really encouraging as your pastor, a a safe place to bring guests. And so we still continue to learn and tweak and and make our time together engaging, and excellent, and applicable, and surprising, you know, in a good way surprising, not in the like, hey, let's huddle up in groups of four, and confess your worst sin, go. now, not that kind of thing, because we remember that in our midst are always lifelong Christians, and first-time attenders. Um, We're not going to do that, but Statistically speaking, did you know the invitational method is actually still very effective? I've had the privilege, more because of my role um, than because of maybe my natural gifting, but I've had the privilege of, of being the one who gets to walk people through the steps of salvation. And I'm willing to bet that like half of new Christians are saved because. Someone simply asked them to come and hear. There's a new Lifeway research uh, that that found that more than half of North Americans would be willing to visit a church if invited by family members, friends, or neighbors. So it turns out that many of your unchurched friends are ready for an invitation. But it, it works in concert, simpatico, with authentic relationships. It's why these these Bell's habits are working concert with this, eating with people, listening to people, telling your story. And so maybe you might be an invitational evangelist. Then, then get serious about it. Like, find out when there'll be an, another strong, simple uh, salvation message preached. Leverage your valuable evangelistic style for God and for eternity. Um, what about this? Serving evangelist? I think one of the most endearing women in scripture is this woman in Acts 9 with a very unfortunate name, Dorcas. Uh, she tremendously impacted her city by doing deeds of kindness. She made garments for the poor and for the forgotten, and she distributed them among the city, all in the name of Christ. And She may never have knocked on the door. I don't think she ever preached a sermon. Yet through her acts of service, she pointed people to the God of love who would transform human hearts. She was a servant evangelist, a service evangelist. And she used her unique gifting um, as a tangible expression of, of God's message. And so maybe like her, you have a tender spirit, you have a a helpful heart. Maybe you have gifts of mercy and helps and hospitality and giving and counseling. And you may be just an incredibly effective evangelist as you connect sharing Christ and serving people. So maybe you'll be the one who would plant gospel seeds that others can water and the Holy Spirit would bring to fruition. So just be assured there are many unbelievers who know exactly what they need to do to become a Christian. They know what they're supposed to believe. The one thing they lack is someone like you who would soften their heart through kindness, through being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, And do it, by the way, with no with no expectation of reciprocation, with no agenda. Like, do it, don't do it with the expectation of, well, if I bring this lasagna over to my sick neighbor, they'll be begging me for, to pray the prayer of salvation. No, it, just do it because Christ would, because you love. It's really the second L in our Bells model, to love and do it in practical ways with no agenda. You know. I hope you find this as interesting as I did. There was a, a doctoral thesis entitled Blessers versus Converters. And the researcher had looked at two types of short-term missionaries, teams. Each had uh, very distinctly different strategies. One team was referred to as the blessers. And in the paper, they, uh, uh, they went with the intention of just blessing people. That's all. They saw their mission as just loving whomever came in their way in whatever practical way they could. The, the other type of missionary team was labeled converters. And as you can probably figure out, they went with the sole intention of converting people evangelizing everyone that they encountered, okay? Like a lot of mission teams. Here's what the research found, perhaps unsurprisingly, that the blessers had far more greater social impact. Okay? That makes sense. But the second finding is what's so surprising. The research discovered that the blessers also had almost 50 times as many conversions than the converters. Uh, The blessers were 50 times more successful at helping people find their way back to God. Could it be uh, because of the point made earlier that we would live questionable lives, which includes blessing, loving, serving, eating with people, listening to them, that we find ourselves questioned by others. And then we have this opportunity of sharing the hope of Christ that lives within us. I would like to give you actually an opportunity to, if this is sort of resonating with you, of sort of building in your heart we have a serve our city team that is coming, and uh, it's it's a chance to um, love on a, a population in Newmarket that is very underserved, that is hungry, quite frankly. And this is a team that not only makes and serves like properly serves, like restaurants serve, like treats them like gentlemen and ladies but also has a chance to pray with, to just build relationship. And so um, this is happening, and uh, we have promised that there is going to be a team that is ready in early November, uh, for our, but we need to even meet prior to that. I'm just going to uh, ask if Paul and Sherry would stand. Are they in the room today? There's Paul and Sherry, Maxman, and if you are interested in that, would you just... Find them, or maybe you, maybe you don't see them in the lobby. Go to the Welcome Center and just say, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, you don't have to sign in blood. It's not a commitment for a year or anything like that, but tr- try it on. See if that's a fit for you. A person, a person coming to Christ, you know this in your own life, is, there's many links to that point. There's the first link, and there's the, all these middle links, and then there's the last link, to be able to assist people to cross the line of faith. And I've had that, like I say, that privilege, but there are all these influences and conversations that precede a person's decision to follow Christ. And God hasn't called me to be the last link. He's just called me to be a link. He's called you to be a link, to be faithful, to love all people. And Paul says that, you know, I may have planted the seed But then Apollos came along and he watered it. And it's ultimately God who made it grow. So we must do our part. They must do their part. God has got to do his part. I cannot do God's part. I cannot do their part. I can only do my part. But I must do my part. I want to invite the band as we respond. And uh, I want to say I'm thankful that my part is just the way God wired me. He's not asking me for anything more or anything less. So we don't lament that God didn't wire you to be a larger-than-life evangelist. There's only one Billy Graham. There's only one Stephen Furtick. There's only one Andrew Hamilton. There's only one Johan Agalawadi. There's only one Jonathan. Thank goodness, everyone says. Be thankful at how God has wired you and gifted you to be a difference-maker in Southlake.
2: Hi. So, um, yeah, just a, a couple of stories then about some of the things that Jonathan's been saying. I think I think one thing to start off with is that um, if you don't feel you can do this and you're a parent, that, that, we all... We all help our kids to come and know the Lord and we teach them the way. And if if you can do that, why can't you do that with your neighbor or the person you meet at the gym? Um, there was a time um, in the first place I worked, there was a, a small group of Christians that met and we put on this event, which was, what's Christmas really about? And we were asking people in the office to come. And um, so we might have had 15 people come out um, to my home, gave them some food and we talked about what christmas is about and um i asked one of them why did you come and his answer was because you asked me
0: mm.
2: and then um, one of my friends neil um, that was that was the starting point and for over many months we spent time together and and um, a whole group of other people from young people from the church and we're we're in the pub one evening and um he goes off to the loo and we're going well, should we ask them to come to church with us tomorrow, and we're going to... so finally we, he comes back and we say, "Would you come to church with us tomorrow?" And he said, "I've been wanting to, you to ask me that for for weeks."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, you know, later on, I had the pleasure of 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 leading him to the Lord, and um, and so it's just like in workplaces, there's so many opportunities. I mean, this is Neil's story, but there's a time where he got upset with someone and. He went back and apologised, and that, that person said, Well, you must be a Christian. So, even in our failings, we can have an impact. Mm-hmm. So, I, th- I think, I mean, for me, I can remember <laughs> there's this guy, he was, he was um, trying to buy a house, and his mortgage wasn't coming together. And so, I go, Well, I'm going to pray about that. And so, you know, my prayer was, God, I've said this, you've got to do it. <laughs> and, um, it's just taking those little opportunities. I mean in the office if um if there's somebody who's you know, just tells me a story about their kids um, are sick or whatever, I'll offer to pray. And um if um I got a friend who was like a hard atheist and he he just he would say, like you're an intelligent person, how can you believe in God? But um, when a family member was sick, and I offered to pay, he says, "Thank you."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, it's 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 not that hard. It's even just saying, "Look, what did you do this weekend?" I went to church, and I, you know, I somebody asked that on Friday morning. I come to the prayer meeting, and I said, "Well, I was in I was in the prayer meeting." And she's she grew up in um, Iran. Um, she would say she's a. An atheist as well, because she's part of by religion um, from the Muslim faith, and then she asked me, "Well, what do you do when you go and pray?" And I had an opportunity. I said, "What well, we do at church and stuff." She said, "Well, maybe that's something I I might be interested in." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's just little things. You can just take those little opportunities, and it opens up doors. And um, yeah, so I'll encourage you to do that. There was there was one thing I. There was somebody I knew for years and years and years at orchestra. And it was after many, many years that I discovered he was a Christian. And that really saddened me because, like, I've known this guy for years and I didn't know. So at least make sure that the people around you know that you're a Christian. Mm
0: -hmm. Good word, brother. I've been waiting weeks for you guys to ask me. I wonder how many are just ready we're gonna sing. In fact, if you're able to, I'd invite you to stand and say, um, shout it. We're gonna proclaim it from the mountains that He is God, and then one day believe that all will sing out hallelujah. Will you stand with me? And I I, I think this is a great time for response. If you've had one of those bell moments this week, would you hang a bell on a ribbon? Or if you have yet to write down on the canvas the name of someone that you're going to faithfully pray for, maybe two people, maybe three people, maybe five people, I invite you to share that. If you weren't here last week and you think, I'm not sure I want to put their name, just know that you can put initials or, you know, family doctor scribbles, you know, and, and you'll know and God will know, but we're going to continue to pray for people to experience Jesus. Let's sing together.